Hello, and welcome to the City Grace Podcast. We're so happy you've decided to join us today as we learn how amazing it is to follow Jesus. Enjoy the message. Uh, Again, so good to see everybody here this morning. Um, I want to say welcome to everybody that's here as we dive into a second lesson that we're doing in a small series that we're called that we're calling rerouting. Um, of course, we're in a new year. It's all about turning over new leaves. We all got new diets and new exercise programs. Turn around, as a matter of fact, to somebody next to you and tell them you're looking fit. We can't lie in church now. You're looking fit. Looking pretty good. 2019. We got new career goals. Can I hear an amen? All right. A couple new career goals. Got some new financial goals. Yeah, that was a little bit louder, right? Some new marriage goals. All right. All the men should have said yes to that one. That's get you out of a lot of trouble. I tried to set y'all up. Um, but just a lot of stuff going on. And of course, what if there was one goal? What if there was one area of life that could kind of sum up all the others or maybe impact all of the others, encompass all of the... What if there was one transformation, one area of life that if you changed or if it was changed in you, it would, it would impact all of those other areas of life? Of course, I'm a pastor and you're in a Christian church, so you can kind of guess where I'm going with that, right? It's, it's your spiritual goals, like this year, to, to be closer to God, right? And, and to, um, you know, Know, get a, a little bit, find out a little bit more about what it means to follow Jesus. But in all of these goals, with all of these goals, whether they're spiritual or financial or professional or, or marital or, you know, whatever it might be, ultimately, we looked at this last week as we kicked off this series, it's not our intentions, is it, that, that gets us to where we want to go. It's not having good intentions. It's not making the claim at the beginning of the year that we're turning over a new leaf. That's just saying it, right? But if the steps that we take day in and day out aren't kind of headed down that path, they're not really pointed in that direction, we'll never get where we hope to go, right? And so we kind of landed on this last week, that good intentions aren't enough. It's really the path that I am following that's going to determine where I end up. It's the steps that I'm taking. It's what I do day in and day out. And today, as we kind of dive a little bit deeper into the spiritual side of things, today I want to kind of maybe even you know, sharpen this a little bit more and say it's not just the path I'm following, it's actually the person that I am following that determines my destination. Now, before I was a, a pastor, I ventured out um, and, and kind of started my own business. I was a photographer for a while, and uh, I, I shot weddings for a little bit, and, and uh, I had a wedding up in Berkeley, and, um, you know, I'd gone to the, the bride's family home and done some of the pre-wedding coverage and that kind of thing, and then it was time for me to kind of leave the, the, the bride and her family there and, and head up to Tilden Park up in the Berkeley Hills. If you've never been up there, it's gorgeous. Um, and so it was time for me to go do that. So I got in my car and, and headed up in the hills of Berkeley towards Tilden Park. And if you've ever tried to get to Tilden Park, it's crazy. Like there's twists and turns. There might be an easy way to get there. I did not find it that day. And so I'm, I'm, you know, turning left and turning right and, and backtracking, and there's some occasional signs, but it didn't really seem to help. And then you're in the hills, and then up and down in the canyon and trees and all that. So wouldn't you know it, my GPS lost con- connection. And I'm the wedding photographer, and I'm supposed to be at the wedding coming up real quick because the bride's not too far behind me. And so I come up to this one stop. I still remember. And I saw, I don't remember the guy's name. It was was like an uncle or something, some family member. I saw him. I just, you know, 
seen him. And so I'm at the stop sign. There he is going the other way. I'm like, oh, great. And so I got behind him, and I started following him. And, and so I'm thinking, well, man, you know, I know they're not going to start the wedding without Uncle Joe. You know, I'm good. And so I'm following him, and, and, and I was feeling relieved, right, because now I'm following somebody. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, I, okay, it's good now until Uncle Joe made three right turns. What happens when you make three right turns, somebody? Yeah, you, you're back where you started. And I realize, oh no, they're just as lost as I am. And I've been following them, and now the only difference is that I'm 10 minutes later than I was a little bit ago. Right? Turn to somebody close and tell them he's preaching already. Uh, I wish I could say God in three syllables right now and get y'all to follow me into this. And so we're following around. We're, we're feeling lost. And now I can tell he's panicking. He's looking in his mirror. He sees me wave. We're panicking a little. And then we see the bride driving by. And now that, that was a safe bet. We got behind the bride, followed her car all the way up to Tilden Park, got there eventually. But then it was late. My schedule got messed up, had to adjust everything. But when, when I saw that bride, and I was relieved then because they might have started the wedding without Uncle Joe. They might have started the wedding without me, but they weren't going to start the wedding without her. So I wasn't there yet, still had some traveling to do, but I knew that I was going to make it because I was absolutely certain about who I was following. Once I was absolutely certain about who I was following, everything seemed to kind of just settle down a little bit, right? And so you get there, and I get out, and I tell the bride this, and you probably said this before, I never would have made it here without you, right? Anybody, ever t- anybody over under 35 has no clue what I'm talking about because you've always just leaned on you know, Siri and Google Maps, right? You've never had this struggle, but the struggle is real. Can I hear from some old folks in the room? I never would have made it here if you hadn't come and got me by the red van. <laughs> and so, you know, you, you, you go through experiences like this. And again, if you, didn't, if you drove without Siri or Google Maps, you know what I'm talking about. Meet me at the gas station. Meet me at the gate, right? You can just follow me there. You can just follow us there. Maybe you heard this in a college speech, right? I, I want to thank my parents. I want to thank my uncles, my aunts, my grandparents. I never would have made it here without you, right? And, and after all the twists and all the turns and all the U-turns and all the times that we were late and didn't get as far as we wanted, but eventually got there, didn't get there when we wanted, but again, eventually got there, there are times when we have to look at someone and tell them, I never would have made it here without you. And this all dovetails into what we started talking about last week, that it's not just about good intentions. It's not just that we're really determined that we're going to get serious about it this year. This is too important, right, to waste another year. So I'm going to make my marriage a priority this year. I'm going to make my my kids a priority this year. I'm really going to buckle down and focus on my career this year. Maybe I'm really needing to get closer to God this year. I'm really needing to kind of turn my life over to God. And all of those intentions are fine. All of those intentions are even good. I hope you say that. But ultimately, where you end up by next year, will be determined by the steps that you take every single day to get there. It's not what, about what you wanted to do. It's not about who you wanted to be or what, where you hoped to end up. What steps did you take and who was guiding your steps? Who were you following? Turn around and ask somebody, who are you following? So we all get this, right? 
It's really, really important. you got to know who you're following. This is why nobody asks me for advice on how to lose weight. Although, just for the record, I've lost more weight than anybody here. Just never at one time. I just, I've lost a lot of weight, right? This is why you don't ask Uncle Joe and his third, life, his third wife for the keys to a happy marriage. You don't do it. I got tense. Somebody must have an Uncle Joe. But, but again, I'm a pastor, and, and you're in a Christian church, so you might be able to guess who it is that I think it's absolutely best. I think it's absolutely essential. It is a must. I think there is somebody that it is so critical that we decide that I am going to follow Jesus. I'm going to follow him because there's nobody else like Jesus. Can I hear an amen from somebody with a story in this room? And so look, today at the end of my message, I'm just setting you all up now. I'm prepping you. I'm letting you know where we're headed, right? I'm going to make an invitation. We're going to open up the front. I'm going to have Dustin sing a song about coming down to the front. It's all about this. And and I'm inviting you today to come up here to make a commitment, to put a stake in the ground. That for 2019, and, and maybe it's, you know, you can't go beyond that because you're still not sure. You're still working through some things. I get that, right? Maybe you, you have doubts and questions. Maybe you have a bad church experience from before, before. Listen, I get all of that. If I had grown up in your circumstances, if I had been through what you have been through, if I'd had the voices and the troubles and the trials that you have had in your life, I would be where you are. And if you had had my life, you'd probably be where I am. I get that. I don't judge you. But I want you to know there is a point, there is an invitation, rather, on the table from Jesus to just begin to trust him, to just begin to put his words to the test. And I am telling you, my life is proof. All around this room, there are lives and people who are proved that Jesus will not lead you wrong. He'll always lead you right. And I think, I think that God has brought us together today. I don't think you're here by accident. I don't think you decided this year to come to this church right now. I believe it's all so that you can hear this invitation again, but hopefully with a renewed hope that maybe, maybe it can be different this time because you're different this time, right? Life's different by this time. And so maybe, maybe Jesus is worth another shot today. And, and, and I just want to be clear again, when I talk about following Jesus, I'm not talking about, you know, like that version of religious fire insurance, right? I'm not talking about just going to heaven when you die, although that's included in everything. But I am talking about a radical reorienta- reorientation of this life. I am talking about finding fulfillment and satisfaction and peace and contentment in this life. Eternal life isn't just about later. By definition, eternity exists around time, and so it includes right now as well. And that's what Jesus promised. And so when I'm talking about following Jesus, I'm talking about following him into the kind of life that deserves to last forever. And how many of us know there are some parts of life that just don't deserve to last forever? There are some pains. There are some hurts. There are some some failures, some disappointments that we know. We don't want that season, that chapter of our lives to last forever. But if you want something different, if you want the kind of life that is worth living forever, then I think it's really important that you answer this question, who am I following, and that your answer would be Jesus. I really believe that. So, I'm just letting you know now, all right? 
Just giving you a heads up, giving you a warning now, right? I want you to hand over your past and believe in the future that he offers you. Amen. So one more thing before I I move on. I don't think that you should just take my word for this. And this is why what I talked about a second ago in in the announcements was so important. I think that you should not just take my word for this. I think you should ask other people what they've experienced about this. I think you should ask other people who are following Jesus what their experiences are and what their results are. You need to look in people's eyes and hear the conviction in their heart. You need to hear the joy because of the transformation that Jesus has brought about. And wouldn't you know, we've created the perfect scenario for you to ask somebody, for you to have a conversation with somebody about it. And guess what? It's called a small group. And guess when they start? You can sign up today. Man, this is awesome. It's like an infomercial at 2 a.m. You thought you just came for church, but wait, there's more. You act today, we'll throw in two small groups for free. And No, I'm just kidding. But listen, you got to try this at some point. Church was always meant to be about family. It's not meant to be about buildings. Church is always meant to be about gatherings, but not just gatherings in a sanctuary. It's meant to be about gatherings around dinner tables and living rooms to talk about life. We like to say it's about circles, not just about rows, because there are some things that Jesus told us to do for and with each other that we can't do in a setting like this. And so you need to try out a small group. And we invite everybody, grow together with us. So look at those cards, stop by in the lobby and talk to somebody at the table, and we'll go on from there. All right, now, so... That's all the advertisement and promo and all this kind of stuff, but I want to kind of bring to a point why I think you should follow Jesus. I want to give us a story today. It's a time when Jesus asked someone a real question, and then they answered Jesus with a rhetorical question that I think just perfectly kind of summarizes what's going on, perfectly kind of wraps up everything that Jesus meant for us to think about when we think about following him. And, and, and the question really that gets asked back to Jesus, the rhetorical question, really kind of brings up this idea that we all follow, whether we think about it or not, whether we acknowledge it or not, we're all following someone. Whether we realize it or not, we all follow something. And the question is, who or what are you following? So the story that I want to bring up today, it's told by a guy named John. Uh, in the new part of your Bible, the New Testament part of your Bible, you'll see Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John was there. He was a close disciple of Jesus. He, he saw it all happen. The story, the conversation that I'm about to tell you, he was standing right there when it all happened. And, and years later, he's, he survived all of the other uh, disciples and apostles of the Jesus movement. He's the oldest guy, the last one standing of that original uh, generation. And, and so he starts writing down this mini biography, you might call it, of, of Jesus's public career and, and telling you know, who Jesus was and, and why it was so important for the, the, the upcoming generation of Jesus followers to kind of you know, wrestle with the ideas about who Jesus claimed to be and what Jesus claimed for us. And it's, it's so important, you might not even realize this, but you've probably been influenced by John before in your life. If you believe that God is love, and you're, you know, maybe you're not sure exactly what, what you believe about God, or you know, but you kind of think there is one. You know, you're trying to wrestle all of that to the ground. But you probably believe this idea that God is love. And if you believe that, you got that from John. John is the one that wrote that God is love. But John didn't write God is love because John's life was lovely. 
John wrote that God is love because he saw the life of Jesus. He saw the pain and the persecution of Jesus. He saw the mission of Jesus and how people responded to that mission and eventually crucified him. He wrote it down because he had stared love face to face. And after John saw Jesus and followed Jesus, he knew that this is love. He saw love lay down his life and die to provide a covering for all of our failures. And John said this is love. He saw love offer us a new way to be alive, even though we'd shown no proof that we deserve the second chance that he gives. And so when John saw his own weaknesses and and his own failures, but still saw the love of Jesus for himself, John said, forget all of the other shallow ideas. Forget all of the other philosophizing about love. This is love. And I see it in Jesus. And so here's a story in in the conversation that John saw Uh, John thought was so important for us to hear. And it's in John chapter 6. It's our chapter of the week. If you want to read it later on during the week with us, let me set up this story. Jesus, as we come into the story, Jesus has just done a 5K. Now, not the kind of 5K like you might have coming to your mind, but Jesus has just fed over 5,000 people. Uh, with, with food, and it was this miraculous thing where he kind of took the, the food and started breaking it down and handing it out, and then there was more to break down and more to break And pretty soon, before you know it, he had taken just a small meal and fed five, over 5,000 people with all of this food. And the crowd was amazed. They were excited. It's like, man, free bagels, and they come to Jesus, and they want to make Jesus king, like right then and right there. And it says, John tells us, they begin to say, surely this is the prophet, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, the prophet who is coming to the world. This is the guy that's coming just before the guy. They weren't sure about Jesus just yet, but this is the guy before the guy, coming to the world. And Jesus knew that they intended to come and make him king by force. And so he withdrew again to a mountain by himself. And this is important because we start to see kind of a gap, right? Like, why would Jesus go away? Why would this be a bad thing? And there was a gap between the reason that they wanted him to be the king and the reason that Jesus wants to be the king. In the language of our series, you know, with goals and directions and paths and routes and all this kind of stuff, the goal was wrong. And so if the goal was wrong, then the path they would have to take to get there would never take them to what was best for them. And so it seems that Jesus isn't so big on being the kind of king that we want, but Jesus is willing to wait till we see him as the kind of king we need. Can I hear a good amen from somebody? And so Jesus doesn't want to be king their way, and so he takes off up the mountain because nobody sane likes hiking. And he just walks up the mountain. And besides, they've just eaten. And you know you can't exercise on a full stomach. And then, you know, by evening, he's still not there, still not back. And the disciples know they're supposed to meet him in Capernaum, a city across the lake. And, and so they jump in a boat, and they head across the lake to Capernaum. And, and it's evening time when they start. So, of course, by the time they're in the middle of the lake, it's dark. And, and the storm comes, and the waves start, like, crashing over the boat. And they have to take the sail down and start rowing with the oars. And I think this is so, so funny. While they're in the middle of the lake, it's nighttime, pitch black out there. There's a storm and waves and all this stuff. And in the middle of all this, Jesus comes walking on the water to the boat. Now, they did exactly what we would have done. They picked up the oars and got ready to fight off a ghost. 
Because that's just, no, it doesn't say that they actually picked up the oars, but it says they were not willing to let him into the boat. What does that look like? I mean, were they shouting at him like, you can't come in? You know, like, I think they probably picked up the oars until Jesus finally said, guys, it's just me. And they're like, oh, okay, well then, yeah, you can get into the boat. I think Jesus did this on purpose because Jesus has a sense of humor. And Jesus wanted to absolutely scare them straight. And so... He, he finally gets into the boat, and they get to the other side. Well, the next day, the crowd knows that Jesus didn't go with the disciples. They start looking around. There's no Jesus. Well, maybe he slipped away. So the crowd, it says the crowd jumped into boats. So all these people crammed into all these boats, and they sailed across the lake to Capernaum to find the bread king because they're hungry again. They want him to feed them again, right? And they're sure that the disciples will meet up at some point with them, so they're following the disciples. When they get to Capernaum, they, they find Jesus, and they find the disciples who still have their, their hair standing like straight out from being scared. And so the crowd comes up to Jesus, and they start making small talk with him, right? When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And men know exactly what's going on here, right? Every time you arrive at the family's house for Thanksgiving, oh, when did you get here? How long did it take? Which way did you come? Any men know what I'm talking about? It's really important when you first get to the family gathering to find out just how long it took somebody to get there because you want to know that you made good time better than somebody else. So Rabbi, when did you get here? Notice they're calling him Rabbi. They're not sure yet that he's the Messiah. They're not sure yet that he's the guy. They're not sure yet that he's the rescuer, but, but they like his bread, and so we'll call you teacher. We'll give you a little bit of respect and call you rabbi. And maybe if you play your cards right, we'll let you be our king. But Jesus isn't having it this morning. He woke up on the wrong side of the boat maybe or not much for small talk. He almost got clubbed with an oar last night. So he's like, look, all of you guys that saw me make the original Wonder Bread yesterday, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me. Not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. In other words, Jesus is saying to them, you're looking for me for all the wrong reasons. And I would say to you this morning, if you did have a bad church experience, if church has never really seemed important to you before, maybe, just possibly, we have been looking for Jesus for all the wrong reasons. Jesus is willing to wait until we see him as the kind of king we need. And we don't just think of him as the kind of king we want him to be. So Jesus says, you should have been looking at the signs. Now this is, this is big. This is a really big point, and we kind of just move past this word. But this is where we can kind of go from, you know, go wrong and, and try to make Jesus into the wrong kind of king. And we can kind of fall into this trap of thinking that religion and, and church and, and being a Christian is really just about guilt management. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like church, that's some of our ideas when we, when we come back to God maybe. that Well, the church is about guilt management. You know, I, I've done some things in my life, and I'm not very proud of them. You know, made some messes in my life, you know, and I feel really guilty about it. So what I need to do is go to the church and talk to the holy man or talk to the preacher or talk to the pastor or the priest, whatever it is in your context, and I need to tell him what I've done so that I cannot feel guilty about it anymore. And then he'll give me the special words to say. He'll give me the special thing to do, and then I won't feel guilty anymore. 
right? But the thing is, then we feel better about ourselves. And then we think, well, now I don't need church anymore. So I won't really think about God until the next time I feel guilty. I won't really involve God in my life, maybe until the next wedding or funeral, the next crisis or emergency that's going on in my life. And listen, don't get me wrong. There is a role for guilt to play in our lives. People without guilt are called psychopaths. Like you need a conscience, right? It's okay to have a conscience. And, and you know, but in that system, you've got to understand that when we just try and take care of the guilt, we're still the kind of people who enjoy doing the things that make us feel guilty. And that's not enough. That's coming to Jesus and making him the kind of God that you want him to be. And he wants to be the kind of God that we need him to be. Can I hear a good amen? Now listen, I'm not knocking the experience of conviction. I'm not knocking guilt. Bishop just preached about this on Wednesday. We need to understand the weight of our sin. We need to understand just how far from God we all have turned our backs and walked away. And man, when you do realize it and when you do come to God and, and you realize that confessing your sins to Jesus doesn't result in condemnation, but it results in restoration, it is amazing. You need to experience that. There needs to come a moment or maybe many moments in your life where you come to him and say, you see me, you know me, I have done wrong. Is there any way you feel forgive me. And I am telling you in that moment, I promise you, when you call out to him in true repentance, can I hear somebody saying amen this morning? He responds with mercy and with love and with grace. Because that's the kind of God he is. It's amazing. But that's not all Jesus came to do. He did not come to merely forgive us of our sins. He came to save us from our sins. To save us from the attitudes and, and the desires and the behaviors and the addictions that break us down and hurt the people that we love the most. We've all done it. We've all lived with regret and done things that have given us regrets. But Jesus has come to not just forgive us of the guilt but to transform us into something we have never been, transform us into something we could never arrive at on our own. So you got to understand, this is what the Bible's talking about. This is the message that Jesus came to give us, not just a guilt management thing. The Bible is telling us the unfolding story of a, a good creator God and, and people like you and me that were created to reflect God's goodness. And, and this is I talk about this all the time. Some of y'all are probably groaning internally. Oh, there goes Jared with his story again. I hope, I hope that's what you're thinking. I, I hope I say it so much you can start quoting me on this. But the story, you got to understand, it, it answers everything. It answers why Jesus is so important and what you should do with him and why he still matters for you today because people had chosen to believe a lie about the creator God, that he is not good. And so we tried chasing good on our own, but we all know this, right? We often mistake what feels good for what is good. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Right? With just about all of our senses, we have done things in a moment that we end up regretting later. Sometimes it's big, sometimes it's a little bit smaller. Sometimes it leaves a mark, sometimes it leaves a tattoo. <laughs> sometimes we feel like we dodged a bullet. 
Sometimes it's something we did. Sometimes it's something that we didn't do. But whether it's money, sex, power, or any of the other lesser vices that we struggle with, we have a terrible history. We are constantly and just almost predictably not doing what is ultimately and supremely and universally good. And there might be exceptions. You might know somebody that you say is an exception, but the exception only proves the rule. And we end up stealing, right? We end up taking things from people, things that maybe we can never get back. We end up killing things, opportunities and and trust and time and hope. And things are dead in our life. Relationships are dead in our life unless a healer can come along, unless someone can come along who can raise and resurrect things from the dead. We have destroyed things. We have destroyed hopes. We have destroyed careers and reputations. And unless, strong, unless someone stronger than ourselves can come, we are going to be left with a mess. But there is someone. And the Bible is telling us the unfolding story of that rescuer, the hope that you and I have needed. We need a forgiver. You need to be forgiven, yes. But we need something more than that. We need someone to save us from ourselves. We need someone to find us in our brokenness and love us in our brokenness. But Jesus, don't leave me in my brokenness. I need, I need a Savior. And so Jesus said and did things that were signs that he was creation's rescuer. He was creation's rescue. He was creation's hope that had been promised since the very beginning of the Bible. And the thing is, Jewish people in Jesus' day knew this better than anyone else. God had shown the Jewish people for thousands of years that I am coming back at some point to, to forgive all of the ways that you have failed to find good without me. I am coming back at some point to breathe a new kind of life into you with my Holy Spirit and, and Jewish people. And, and now the church, we are meant to share this good news with everybody that there is rescue There is hope. There is a new path forward. And so in this passage, Jesus is calling these guys out. Hey, you guys are Jewish. You guys have all the old scriptures. You guys know this thing. And he was going to set you right and restore his image in you. And you had signs. But you're ignoring the signs. And all you care about is free bread. You're looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. And then he goes on and tells them, look, guys, don't work for the food that spoils. Don't worry about bread that gets moldy, but work for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Listen, guys, temporary bread isn't a good enough goal. It's not noble enough. I didn't come to be your bread king. I didn't come to be the miracle king. You don't need an experience that will leave you hungry again. You don't need an experience that will leave you just feeling guilty again. You need something that will make you come alive in a brand new way, and I, I am it. So they're thinking, well, man, we're not not really sure what this looks like anymore. And so they asked him, well, then what do we need to do? What must we do to do the works that God requires? Okay, if you want to bring bring in this new way of being human, You want to bring in a new kingdom where God rules over everything. What does this look like? And Jesus gives them something, and this is is huge. And again, we just kind of read over this. And the reason that we do is because we're not Jewish. And a lot of times we're not looking at their old scriptures. And we're not looking for the signs that they were supposed to be looking for. And we might want some help. We might want a quick fix. 
But a rescuer? You know, it just seems a little dramatic, right? I mean, that would mean that I'm, I'm lost. That would mean that I can't find my way to the best version of what I'm supposed to be on my own. That would mean I would need, that would mean I would need someone else to lead me in ways that I haven't tried on my own. And, you know, sometimes we're not really thinking beyond just guilt when it comes to church. We're not really wondering how we're going to be the different kind of people all together. And Jesus tells them, and Jesus would tell us, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Now listen, this is huge. And this is the hinge of Christianity. This is the hinge of an adult version of your faith. This is so simple, and it is. But this is also so profound. And he's talking to people who know the whole story. He's talking to Jews who know about the creator God and the fall of man and and all of these things. And he's telling them, he's talking to people who are expecting a hero. He's talking to people who were expecting a Messiah. He's talking to people who believed very deeply that all of us were created in the image of God. But that somewhere along the way, man had lost the image of God. That we have lost what it looks like to reflect God in our world, in our relationships and with our resources, and with the strength and the power and the influence that we have. He's talking to people who know that humans are deeply flawed, and in our marriages, we don't treat each other like God would have us treat each other. And I mean, look at the divorce rate in the United States. In our resources, we don't put our resources to the things, the the causes that God would put them towards. In In the use of our power and strength and position, we we often leverage it for our own gain. Instead of using our position and our influence for those who need it the most, the picture of God in us has gotten distorted and gotten warped. We were supposed to look like God. Jesus is telling them, I've given you signs that I'm the restored image of God, and you have missed it. You haven't been looking for the right things, and you're wondering what the image of God looks like. And I'm trying to tell you, ta-da, I'm it. Don't look any further than me. I'm the picture of the creator that's been broken and lost. My love is what God looks like. My mercy is what God sounds like. Me coming to the lost and the broken and the lowly. Can I hear an amen from some lost, broken, and lowly people in the room? This is what God feels towards us. Jesus is saying, believe in me. Let all of your hope rest in me. You're looking for a rescue. You're looking for a different way to be alive. Or rather, you're not looking for that. You need rescue and you need a different way to be alive. And I am here to show you what it looks like to reflect God in the way that you were always meant to reflect God. And what John wrote there, believe in me, it's huge. And the rest of the New Testament writers, they pick up on this. And this theme echoes again and again that Jesus is the image of God. In Colossians 1, the, the, Paul writes and says, the Son is the image of the invisible God. To the Corinthian church, there was a letter written that said, the God of this age has blinded people, and they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Hebrews 1 and 3, the Son is the radiance of God's Glory, everything that makes us stand in awe and wonder at God, we see in Christ. And he is the exact representation of his being. 
But we miss this. And we think Jesus is just another good teacher. We think it's just another good philosophy. And Jesus is saying, no, I am the image of what a full and complete an unflawed human is supposed to look like because I reflect my Father to you. See, one of Jesus' closest followers, he, he knew about this, but he still didn't really get who Jesus was, which gives me hope, right? Because we all struggle with things. Even after we've been Christian or living for God, we might call it for a while. And there's a guy named Philip one day, and he's talking with Jesus and the rest of the disciples, and, and you know he knows what's going on. He's like, okay, Jesus, we're supposed to reflect the Father. We're supposed to reflect the Creator. I get that. So, you know, just really help us out. Can, like, we cut to the chase. I hear you're about to check out soon. You know, can you help us out? And so he tells Jesus, ask Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and that would be enough for us. Like, just give us the picture. You know, can you, like, text it to us, message, screenshot it, you know, send it over? And Jesus looks, you could just almost see Jesus shaking his head. If he was Mexican, he would have said, ay, 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 just like, you know, just like my dad said to me so many times growing up. And Jesus looks at him and he says, Philip, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And then he walked up a hill and laid down his life for sinners like you and sinners like me, for broken people like you and me, for the poor in spirit who had no good on our own to offer God for us who needed him the worst. He said, I've loved you, and I am the picture of your God. I'm it. And I've been giving you signs pointing to this. I've been calming the storms and feeding the hungry and healing the sick and opening the eyes of the blind. I've been showing evil and sin for what it is and offering forgiveness and freedom for those that are victims of the evil and the addictions that just bind us up and break us down. And what Jesus told Philip, what Jesus would tell us and what Jesus told the crowd that day is if you want to know what rescue Looks like if you want to know what the Father of creation wants you to do to bring about this transformation in your world, this is it. Believe in the one that He has sent. Believe in who I say I am. Put your trust in me. Do a trust fall into me. Let me catch you. Put your whole support or your whole weight on me, rather, and let me support you. Follow me. I will lead you to the right destination, and I will lead you there in the right ways. But we've been trying to find it on our own so many times. We've been driving around in circles and making three right turns for whole seasons and chapters of life. And the only difference between now and 10 years ago is that we're 10 years older you thought that was it. You thought she was it. You thought you just had to have that or try that or pursue that. And Jesus is saying, I want to take you to a goal that you cannot get to on your own. I want to bring you to a life and the quality of life to where you will turn and look at me and say, Jesus, I never would have made it here without you. Oh, come on. Anybody in the room want to pause for a moment and tell him that? Come on, all over this room. Jesus, I never would have made it here without you. Jesus, I never would have made it here without you. Isn't that so much better than free bread? Isn't that so much better 
than just not feeling guilty until the next time you feel guilty. Oh, Jesus, change me. Jesus, change me. Let me reflect you, Jesus, as you reflect the Father to us. Jesus, help us. Jesus, help us. But we struggle with this, and it's no surprise that they struggled with it, too. And Jesus knows why they're there. and I mean, they crossed a whole lake for free bread. But Jesus is like a good parent, and he's not just going to give them what they think they want. He's not in the business of underwriting bad ideas. But Jesus is in the business of giving us the ultimate, the supreme, the enduring good. So Jesus tells them, guys, the bread I gave you yesterday, it got you your attention, but it was just supposed to be a sign. It was just supposed to be something to point you to a different goal, a greater truth. And so Jesus declares to them, I'm the bread of life. You guys are asking me for bread, and I am the bread. You want something in your belly, I'm trying to put something in your soul, Betty. Like I'm stumbling all over my words this morning, y'all just have to help me. But here we are, here you are, across the lake from where you started, and you're still hungry. Here you are across the lake from where you were 10 years ago, and you're still looking for something. You've tried and experienced so much. You've ate from so many different places, but you're still empty, and you're still hungry. And Jesus said to them, and Jesus would say to us, I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Can I hear a good amen in City Grace? Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty again. He can satisfy your soul. He can get rid of guilt and help you to overcome the condemnation that just plagues you and it haunts you and every morning you get up and you can't seem to forget about that and what you did and who you were and Jesus is saying I can take care of that for you. I can give you what you're really empty missing. I can give you what will fill the hole in your heart. I'm the bread of life. We know what that's like. Anybody know what it's like? Like You, you haven't gone to the store in a while. You get up, you go to the pantry, and you look, and there's nothing there but, like, diet hummus. Like, <laughs> go to the fridge, and all Chelsea's put in there is celery. Like, come on. We've tried things. We've tried to fill ourselves with celery. <laughs> I'm equating celery to evil things here. Somehow, I don't know. You see how my mind works, right? Just... And Jesus is saying, like, come to me. Try me. Come on, you've chased that. You've chased him or her. You've, you've done that. You've left that and you shouldn't have. You, you embrace that and you know it's hurting you. You can't stop drinking that. You can't stop clicking there, smoking that. You, you've tried all of these things. And they just leave us less than we were before. They leave us not only still empty, but now also with Regret, memories, pain, and apologies that need to be made. And ground, relational capital that we have to make up because of our bad tendencies. Because we chased what we thought was a good thing, but it turns out it just felt like a good thing. And Jesus is saying, if you will come to me, I'm the bread of life. I am what you need, and you will never go hungry again. You'll never thirst again. Isn't he wonderful? Isn't he wonderful?
Now, I'm almost done this morning, but Jesus goes on, and he knows they just want free bread, and it's almost like he's getting a little bit kind of sharp with them, and he's telling them, I gave you guys all the signs you needed. You guys still don't want to listen. And then his sermon, like, gets weird. You can read it in John chapter 6. It gets weird. He tells them, you got to eat my body, and they're like, nope. Tells them you have to drink my blood, and the you know, moms are covering kids' ears. You know, it's like, what in the world is going on? And starting to figure out the bakery's closed today. And Jesus just keeps pressing the issue, and he knows what's coming up. He knows what they really need, and he is so determined to not just scratch an itch, but to give them what they really need. And, and his body is one day very soon going to be hanging on a cross is a sign, another sign for them to point to the greatest, the ultimate reality. And so he presses the crowd and they start to murmur and then it starts to feel a little bit more like a, a mob. And John is writing all this down and John remembers, you know, yeah, it got so bad that many, I mean, not just some, and it wasn't the closest 12, but many of his followers started checking out. And on hearing what Jesus was talking about, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching and who can accept it. And it's always a bad idea to kind of murmur around Jesus. It's always a bad idea to kind of, you know, he's always going to find you out. And aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? You think it's too offensive for me to tell people that they've been traveling to the wrong destination? You think it's offensive to tell someone that the life they've chosen is less than what their life could be? You think it's offensive that I would tell people there's a different way to live and to be alive, that there's a new goal worth aiming toward? And from this time on, John remembers many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. They left him. And the reason that he lost the crowd that day and the reason that he lost many disciples that day is the same reason that he's lost some of us before. It's the same reason that some of our family isn't here and some of our friends have walked away from their faith. The reason that he lost the crowd and he lost many is because he wouldn't simply give us what we wanted, how we wanted it, and when we asked him for it. But we all know, is, is the key to a full and fulfilling life really getting everything we want? Is that really what you need? Come on, I mean, look in your junk drawer, right? Come on, you thought you needed that car till you got the first payment slip. You thought you really wanted that house. You thought you really wanted, I'm not going to talk about her or him. I'm not going to go there. Just, you thought that's what you really needed. That will make me happy. If I get you, God, please, if you will just give me this, I will forevermore. God, if you'll just give me that, I won't ever again. God doesn't seem to answer because we know, we know just getting what we want will not be what satisfies us ultimately down deep in our soul. I know for a fact, having a genie in my pocket, if God was nothing more than a genie, right? Having a genie in my pocket would not make me a better person. It would make me more impatient. It would make me eat pizza a lot more. It would, it would make me more convinced of my own importance. In other words, it would not make you and it would not make me more spiritual. It would just make us more spoiled. 
Jesus didn't come to give us what we think we want, but he came to be what we need. And he asks you to trust him with that, to give up and surrender your ideas of what you think you need and trust the one who laid down his life for you. I mean, can he do anything else to prove that he loves you and that he's for you and that he wants what's best in your life? So he came to be what we need, and he asks us to trust him, that he wants to be what we need to handle pain and disappointment and and sorrow and broken hearts. He's what our empty soul longs for. He's the way forward. He's the path. He's the goal. He's, He's the prince of peace. Prince of peace. Man, as I get older, and I'm old now at 42, as I get older, peace is so beautiful. Peace is just, I mean, just to to look at your finances and be at peace. To come home at the end of the day and to see my wife and to be at peace. To look at my kids. We're working on it, you know, just. (laughs) To come to church. To kneel down in my room, to open the Bible, to be driving in my car, to come to moments of crisis, to to have, I'm a pastor now, and to have people ask me to pray for them, I'll give you guys like a little peek behind the curtain, like over 75% of the time, I have no clue what to say. It's like, start with Jesus and see where it goes. Like, you know. But to be at peace, to be at peace. Jesus, I'm at peace. With all of my past, I am at peace. God, with where you have placed me in the present, I am at peace. And then God, in my future, it's not just peace, it's joy. Oh, it's excitement and anticipation because I know who I am following. And I know where he is taking me. Come on, all over this room, can you lift up your hand and tell him, Jesus, Jesus, we need you. Jesus, we need you. So Jesus turns and he asks the closest 12 disciples, you know, he sees them shifting their feet. They, they're eyeballing the crowd leaving. They're eyeballing the other disciples, the many that left. And he turns to the 12 closest disciples and he says, you don't want to leave too, do you? You're not thinking about going too, are you? And there's no use lying to Jesus. Like, it's just, forget it. And I'm telling you, listen, in your prayer life, there is nothing more satisfying than just telling God everything you are feeling. Every doubt you have, every, every question you have, every disappointment and frustration, he knows what you're thinking anyway. You might as well say it. And I'm telling you, when you can get to that level of trust with him, that God, I know that this, it, it comes from my ignorance, but I'm just going to tell you what I'm I'm telling you, it is beautiful the way God responds and the way that he gives us peace, peace, peace. And into that moment, into that tension, when Jesus asked the closest 12, you, you don't want to leave too, do you? Peter says something that kind of crystallizes this whole message and and brings it to a point. And Peter realizes something that maybe the other ones miss and maybe we don't really think about, but we all kind of know in the back of our heads. And Peter looks at Jesus and he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where would I go, Jesus, if not to you? 
Who would I follow, Jesus, if not you? See, we've tried other things, Jesus, and we're just, we're not full now. We're just late. Jesus, we've tried following other things, and we didn't really go anywhere. We made three right turns. We thought that was, maybe I was trying to follow my own heart. Hello, somebody. But even my own heart, I don't think I can trust it. I think even my own heart has led me astray. And Jesus, we've even read the scriptures, but they didn't always make sense without you. We believed in promises, but never really saw any signs that they would come true, at least not till you came along. Maybe even, Jesus, we had tried being religious, but it just didn't feel very fulfilling without you. Maybe what we had was a guilt management system, but not really a relationship with someone who was taking us somewhere we could never get to on our own. And he finishes up, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And I love what he says here. We have come to believe and to know. See, I like that because that's me. And that's probably you this morning. We have come to believe and to know. See, like you're not there yet. The reason that you're not here every single Sunday is because you're not there yet. There's something going on, but you're not really sure about it. You're not really sure how you feel about church or how you feel about following Jesus. You're not, maybe you were a Christian before. Maybe your parents were Christian. Maybe your grandparents, you know, had their relationship. You know, my family was this, and so now I'm this. But Jesus just simply invites us all to follow him, to trust him, to believe in him. And Peter says, we have come to believe. Jesus, we have put your words to the test and we found them to be true. Can I hear an amen from somebody? Jesus, we have put your promises to the test and you've come through. Can anybody else say with me that God has never failed? God has never let us down. The answer frequently didn't look what, like what I thought it should be. And for that, I say, thank God. Like if God's only as smart as me, we're all in trouble. Oh, but I've learned to trust you. I've come to believe. And because I kept on trying you and trusting you after that, now I know, I know that you are the Holy One of God. Can we all stand this morning? Can we all stand? And so I think Peter would ask us today, and I think Jesus, if he was able to sit and talk with you today and ask you a question ask you to respond. I think the question that they would ask you and the question that I want to ask us this morning is very simply this. Who will you follow? If not Jesus, then who? If not Christianity, then what? Are you going to follow your heart still? Are you going to follow your own ideas of what's good and what's right? Are you sure that you can always get that right? Are you sure that you got that locked down? Has that always, always worked for you? Who Will you follow? Who will you take at their word? I'm telling you, Jesus has become for me something so value, valuable and something so beautiful. There is no way that I would have gotten to where I am today without Jesus. Jesus has treated my past 
in a way that I never even thought about treating it. Jesus has healed me from things that I didn't ever think I could get healing over. And I know the same is for you because I've heard story after story after story. Time and again, people have brought pain and problems to Jesus and he has answered and not always in the way that we expected. He didn't just underwrite our own expectations, but Jesus has turned out to be the bread of life. And he's not just the king that we wanted, but he is the king that we all really really need. For more information about City Grace, you can find us online at citygrace.church. We'll see you next week.